Well, good morning again. You could do better. Good morning. All right. Glad you all are here. I'm going to rearrange my notes here and uh, ask you to turn to uh, the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 3 and 4 this morning. As we continue on in our summer sermon series, No More Excuses. No More Excuses. Exodus chapter 3, and we'll be looking at 3 and 4, so grab your own Bible or the Bible in the pew back in front of you. You can follow along on the screen behind me if you would like as well. We come to our sermon this morning as we take a a look at uh, another excuse giver in the Bible, the man named uh, Moses, as we take a look at our sermon, beating around the burning bush, beating around the burning bush. I trust you're there in Exodus 3. Let's pray, and then we'll dive right in. So if you would pray with me once again this morning, church, please. Father, thank you for the privilege of being here. It has been a great morning already to witness um, a baptism, to be reminded of the eternal life that you offer us and freely give to us simply by faith and trust in uh, the gospel of your Son alone. It's been good to be here and to sing, to give you the fruit of our lips, the praise Uh, of of your glory, and to give of our finances as well, for you give all things to us freely, and we give back freely a portion to you. Father, now we turn to your inspired word, and we turn to look at uh, yet another excuse giver in the Bible. We pray that you would help us uh, to learn from his experience, from his uh, excuse giving, and from your response to those excuses, and may we see our own hearts and our own lives laid bare as we turn to your word so we trust in your spirit to do his work in our hearts when we pray it in the name of Jesus and God's people together said, amen. Well, the story is told of a commanding officer in the army and he was furious because nine of his GIs had been out on leave overnight and they failed to show up the next morning on time for roll call. In fact, it was 7 p.m. when the first straggler came walking in and he said, sir, I'm sorry, but I had a date, and I, I lost track of time. I, uh, I was going to take the, the bus, but it broke down. And, well, being determined to get back, I, I decided to, to get a cab. And I hopped in the cab, and halfway there, the cab broke down. So I, I saw an old farmhouse, and I persuaded the farmer to, to, to sell me a horse. So I bought a horse, and I was riding into to camp, and the animal just unexpectedly fell over dead. So ten more miles I walked, and I got here just now. And of course, the, uh, the officer was skeptical, but he simply let the man off with a reprimand. However, after him, seven of the GI's buddies came straggling in, uh, row after row, and they all had the same story. Uh, they had a date, and they missed the bus, so they hired the cab, and they bought the horse, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so by the time that the ninth GI uh, pulled into town, uh, he, the, of course, the commanding officer was very upset and uh, the GI said, sir, I'm sorry I'm late, but I had a date and, and I missed the bus, so I hired a cab. And the man said, wait, just wait a minute. I've heard this before. Tell me the story. Let me guess. The cab broke down. To which the GI replied, no, the cab didn't break down. In fact, uh, there were just so many dead horses in the road that we couldn't get here on time. <laughs> so... You know, like the GIs in our story, I think uh, if we looked at our own life and uh, our own excuse-making, 
we can become rather creative, can't we, like this young man? Today we continue our sermon series, uh, No More Excuses, as we look at Moses. So in Genesis chapter 3 and 4, we uh, find ourselves this morning, and we see Moses is going to, in those chapters, give five excuses to God, five excuses to God as to why he could not do what God was calling him to do. He was, if you will, beating around the burning bush, right? Um, And so just from the outset, before we get into the context and then we dive into the scriptural text, I want us just to pause for a moment and to begin our, to ask ourselves this question. What, what is it that God is calling you to do? That's the question I want us to begin with. What is it that God specifically is calling you to do while his plans and purposes for our lives certainly look differently in the details. What is certain is that God is, is calling each of us to serve him in a unique way. He's calling all of us, like he did Moses, to obey his word in faith and to, to not give excuses for doing so. So as we begin to look at Moses' excuses and God's response to those excuses, I want us to, if you will, put ourselves in Moses' seat and ask ourselves, what is it that I know God for sure is calling me to do that I am not doing, that I am giving God excuses for not doing? Maybe it's, maybe it's a, a ministry inside the church, a committee that you know you're supposed to be doing. Maybe it's just becoming regular again to uh, Sunday morning church or to, to, to Sunday school or to women's or men's Bible study. Maybe it's Maybe it's um, having a conversation. It's that conversation with your friend or with your spouse or with your child or with your unbelieving neighbor that you know God is putting on your heart and you have been putting it off, giving God maybe some excuses. Maybe it's the mission trip that you know you're supposed to go to and you've been thinking about excuses why you're not going to go. Maybe it's being baptized like we've seen this morning and you're giving God excuses as to why it's just not time. Maybe it's, it's starting a, a personal time of prayer and Bible study or maybe, maybe doing that with your spouse. So friends, just from the outset, as we begin to get into the text, what is God calling you to do? Setting it on your heart. You know what it is and you are just refusing to do that. Maybe as we hear Moses' excuses, maybe they will sound familiar to us. You know, it was Benjamin Franklin who once said, he that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. Let's chew on that a bit. He that is good at making excuses is, is seldom good for anything else. And while that, while that may, may be true today, I think the scriptures give us hope. And so if you have your Bibles, let's turn there now to, to Genesis 3 and 4, because, because what we see in the, in the life of Moses is that God in his grace can take those who are good at making excuses, like Moses and like us, and he can make them good for doing incredible things through faith and obedience in him. So let's pick up the story in Genesis 3. There we see Uh, excuse me, Exodus chapter 3. There we see in Exodus 3, God's call of Moses. A little background, Moses is living the shepherd's life uh, in the desert regions of Midian. God, uh, in verses 1 through 10 of of, of Exodus chapter 3, reveals himself. Remember the burning bush incident, right? He reveals himself to Moses. He says, Moses, I am the God of your ancestors. I have heard their cries, and I'm going to do something about it. And guess what? 
in verse 10, God says, Moses, you're the man. You're the man. I am going to deliver my people from Egypt, and you are the one who is going to do it. Verse 10, God says, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And that then brings us to our sermon text and a rather lengthy discussion between God and Moses over God's call of Moses to be the man to lead the people out of Egypt. He's going to give God five excuses. We'll work our way through them, and we'll see God's response to those excuses. And I wonder, I just wonder if any of those will sound familiar to me and you. So excuse number one is found in chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, where Moses says to God, God, you have the wrong guy. God, I think you have the wrong guy. Verse 11, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Here, Moses basically says, Who, who me? Wait, you're burning bush, you're talking to me? You Check your records, God. I, I think you got the wrong guy. See, Moses had, if you recall, he tried to play that role of deliverer before, hadn't he? If you remember just a, a chapter back in, in Exodus chapter 2, we, we, we see Moses trying to play that role, doing it in his own strength, in his own timing, and he had failed. Now he is 80 years old. 80 years old, not exactly in his prime, a weathered old shepherd. Now? Now, God, I'm going to be the one? to do this? No. I think you have the wrong guy, Moses says. And to that excuse, God graciously promises his presence. Notice verse 12, and God said, I will be with you. God says, yes, you. And guess what? You're not going alone. I am going to empower you. I will be with you. Second, he promises that, that, that Moses would prevail. Notice verse 12. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain, the very mountain that he stood. And so God says, I'm going with you. You will prevail, Moses. One commentator says of this section here, Moses objected, quote, who am I? And God answers, the point is, I am with you. Who Moses is, he says, is not the question. It is rather who is with Moses, right? Because God promised that he would be with Moses. Kind of like the story of the elephant and the mouse. Maybe you've heard it before. They were best of friends and they were crossing a suspension bridge one day. And they got to the other side and the mouse looked up at his buddy and said, Boy, we really shook that bridge, didn't we? We shook that bridge? He shook that bridge, right? God says, Listen, Moses, I'm going to do this incredible thing and we are going to do it together. I'm going to shake that bridge. So, fellow Christians, let me ask you this morning, are you giving God this first excuse that Moses gave to God? You have the wrong guy. You have the wrong lady. Are you saying, God, I think you have the wrong guy. You have the wrong guy to lead family devotionals. God, you have the wrong guy to, to share that the gospel and to share my testimony with my with my co-worker. God, you have the wrong guy to be a part of that ministry. God, you have the wrong guy to pray at family gatherings. Wrong, wrong guy. Ladies, maybe you say the same thing. God, I think you've chosen the wrong lady to confront my my, my friend who's 
being led astray into truth, into error and not truth. I think you have the wrong lady to lead that Bible study. I'm not sure to teach my kids the Bible. You want me to do that, God? And on and on it goes. And friends, if this is you, and we're saying, "Mm, wrong person. It's not for me. Not for me. God promises his presence. I will be with you. And he promises that you would prevail. Notice what he told Moses. When you have brought the people out of Egypt. Because it wasn't a question. He would prevail. So, Moses and his excuse giving is just getting warmed up. Excuse number two follows quickly on the heels of excuse number one. And we see it starting in verse 13. Excuse number two goes something like this. God, I don't have all the answers. I mean, what if, what if they ask me something and, and I don't know what to say? I need more details, Moses says. Verse, th- verse 13, Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then, what should I tell them? Seeing as God hadn't revealed himself to his people for some 400 years, um, how could Moses, in his mind, he says, God, how can I prove that it's their God? How can I prove that it was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? How, how, How can I show them that? And so God, in response, starting in verse 14, again, humbly and and graciously responds first by revealing to Moses something of his character. Notice in verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. So God reveals his name. He answers Moses' questions. And in doing so, he reveals uh, something about himself. He is uh, Yahweh. He is the great I am. Uh, The name derives from the Hebrew verb to be. In other words, God is saying, I am the self-existent one. I am not created, I am creator, I always have been, I always will be. But, but I think the name also implies to Moses that he is the God who is up to something. That he is the God who is on the move. He is an active God. He acts in history. Dr. Constable says it this way. He says there is an interesting interchange here involving the identity of folks in this conversation. So, so Moses asked, who am I? Implying that he was nobody. He said the Israelites would ask, who is he? Implying that the one who had sent Moses to them was was somehow unknown to them. To that, the Lord replied, I am who I am. In effect, uh, Dr. Constable says, God was saying, it's me, Moses, it's me. See, See, Israel and Moses, they had heard about God, but he had not been revealed to them for 400 years. Now he has reappeared. He's on the scene. He's moving in history and would demonstrate to them who he was in the plagues and in the exodus to come. So God says, Moses, it's a good question. This is what you should say, and this is who I am. But he not only reveals his character, but, but God answers the questions that Moses feared being asked. He, he gives Moses the details about what this would look like to bring Israel out of Egypt. And he, and he does so in three waves. Starting in verse 16, he says, Moses, this is what you're supposed to say to the leaders of the nation. Go, verse 16, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, 
the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now notice verse 18. God said, The elders of Israel will listen to you. And so he says, Moses, this is exactly what you're supposed to say to them. You want to know what to say? This is what you're supposed to say. And guess what? They'll believe you. They're going to listen to you. Next, he says, and this is, Moses, exactly what I want you to tell the king of Egypt. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. Verse 19, But... I know that the king of Egypt will not listen, will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. So he says, Moses, this is what you say to the leaders. Moses, this is what you are to say to Pharaoh. And guess what? He too will eventually listen to you. And then in verse 21 and 22, he says, and this, this is how you, to are, you are to instruct the people, uh, the nation as a whole. Verse 21, and I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and every woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. And so God says, you want details? You're scared about what they're going to ask you? Here you go. So let's pause and ask again. Do we give God excuse number two? Do we say to the Lord, well, God, okay, I know you want me to do this, but uh, I don't have quite all the answers. I don't have all the details, exactly what that's going to entail. God, I, I can't do that. I don't have all the answers. Maybe it's, God, I don't, I don't know what to say. I'm not, sure, I'm not sure what to say when my skeptical co-worker asks a difficult question about my faith. I don't know what to say. I can't talk to them. Or, God, I don't know what to say when my spouse asks me, how much is that mission trip going to cost? Or, you want to be involved in what ministry? How long is it going to take? God, I'm not sure about the details. Or, God, when my kid you know, I'm doing family devos. They ask me a question. What if I don't have the answer? And on and on it goes, right? If that's the case, then friends, may God reveal to you as he did to Moses, his character afresh. He is always present. He is always active. He is always sufficient. You can trust in him. And may he graciously provide you the answers in his timetable for you to be obedient. So we've seen a couple excuses. You just have the wrong guy. I don't, well, what if they ask me this? I don't have all the answers. You think two excuses might be sufficient, but lo and behold, we have a third. As we move into chapter four, we see the third excuse, and we dig a little deeper into the soul, I believe, of Moses. Because there in verse one, Moses says, God, what if I fail? God, what what if I can't do what you're calling me to do. Verse 1, Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, 
the Lord did not appear to you. Now, what's, what's striking about what we see in this excuse? Moses said, what if they do not believe me? What if they don't believe me? What, what did God say back in verse 18 of chapter 3? The elders of Israel will listen to you, right? God said, they're going to believe you. And he says, well, what if they don't? What if they don't? Friends, I think, uh, I think Moses is afraid of failing. You may recall back in Genesis 1 and 2 that he had failed before, hadn't he? I mean, Moses, he knew a little bit about what it was to be a failure, didn't he? He knew what it was like to try to save uh, his own people, and he did it in his own way, in his own timing, in his own strength, and he was run out of town. Friends, he had failed before, and now God was calling him to do this? He was afraid again. I, I remember as a child, and even still today, if I was honest, that uh, I had this, what was probably uh, an unhealthy fear of failure. So at times when I was little, I, I didn't want to play particular board games or sporting, uh, sporting events because I knew that if I wasn't good enough to succeed and to succeed regularly, um, I would fail, and I didn't want to fail. Now, maybe I just didn't like losing. I don't know. Um, but, but I recall that. Like, I'm not, not going to even do that. I'm not going to do that because I might look bad. I might fail. And lo and behold, uh, our children are like their fathers, are they not? And I see that, and I'm like, man, there's this fear of failure. I think Moses is experiencing this. So in response, God, again, gently, graciously, very patiently, I think, encouraged his doubtful deliverer by revealing to him his power, by, by, by showing him, giving him three signs that, that Moses could perform by God's power, which would cause the nation to believe. We see it in verse 2. God showed Moses that he could overcome, and the people, the nation of Israel. Verse 2, uh, the nation of Egypt, excuse me, verse 2. Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. A man after my own heart. If I see a snake, I'm going to do that to you. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. Hmm. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. He says, listen, you want want a sign? You you don't think they're going to believe you? You do this, and they're going to believe you. But if they don't, here's a second, verse 6. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Verse 8, Then the Lord said, If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. So God graciously says, You're you're afraid of failing? You don't think they're going to believe you? Well, do this. If the snake trick doesn't work, then do that, right? And then he, he gives a third sign. Verse 9, But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, Take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. So, 
It's easy, I think, for us to sit here and to kind of be hard on Moses here for not believing God's word, even though he had just said, they're going to listen to you, and Moses' fear of failure overcomes him. What if they don't? God graciously says, well, do this, and do this, and do this. But friends, I wonder how often we give God that excuse as well. God, what if it just, I can't do that. You want me to do what? You want me to, you want me to do this? I don't know if I can. What if it doesn't work out? What if I fail? God, I I might be a really bad Sunday school teacher. I might mess those kids up. What if that conversation with my believing brother or sister that I know is just hard, what if they turn against me? What if it breaks that relationship? God, what if I fail? God, I know that you... You've blessed me materially and you want me to increase my giving to the local church and to other mission organizations. God, what if it can't be sustained? What if it fails? So friends, we need to ask, is fear of failure keeping us from doing what we know God is putting on our heart to do? If so, then we can learn a lesson from Moses and from God here where where God calls, he enables. When he leads, he provides. When his servants fear, he promises divine enablement. So, three up and three down, right? Uh, that's an inning in baseball. Uh, but here in the scripture, uh, we get five, five, five outs here in this inning because the excuse giving is not done. Let's turn to verse 10, where Moses gives a fourth excuse. And maybe it sounds familiar to you as well. He says, God, I'm not qualified. I'm not qualified. Who, me, God? Oh, yes, me. Okay, okay, great. Um, Okay, so it's me that you want me to do it. Well, I don't have all the answers. I need some more details. And God says, here are the details. Here are the answers. Okay. Uh, I might fail. You won't fail. Let me demonstrate this to you. Okay. I don't think I'm qualified. Verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, notice the language. It, It shifts here. Pardon your servant, Lord. You notice that? Pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. So I think it's quickly becoming apparent that Moses is running out of excuses. While the Israelites are gathering straw to make bricks, uh, Moses is grasping at straws to make excuses, right? And he's running thin. We see Moses here for the first time using apologetic language, right? Do you notice that? God, forgive me for what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it anyways. In other words, I know I'm not supposed to say it, but I'm going to say it. Pardon me, um, but I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm not gifted. I'm not eloquent. I can't speak. A story is told of a a professor of physics at uh, Johns Hopkins University. And uh, he was once called as an expert witness in a trial. And so he's on the stand, and during cross-examination, a lawyer demanded, Sir, what are your qualifications as an expert witness in this case? And uh, the the normally modest uh, professor who was about to retire quietly responded, Well, sir, I am the greatest living expert on the subject under discussion. Later, a friend, well acquainted with a man's normal humility, asked him, and he said, how could you say that? It's not like you. And the man said, well, I was under oath. What did you expect me to say, right? 
as he talked about his own giftedness, his own qualifications. See, unlike that professor here, Moses, I think, downplays. He doesn't upplay. He, he downplays his ability to speak. Because you, you may recall in, in the book of Acts, Stephen is giving this wonderful speech before he gets murdered. You may remember that, right? He's giving this wonderful speech, and then they kill him for it. But um, in that speech, he speaks of Moses. And, and, and he says of Moses in that speech that Moses was, quote, powerful in speech. So let me ask you. There's two possibilities here, and I'll let you decide. It's possible that Moses grew in his ability to speak, that as he obeyed God and went and, and did what he said, that he grew in his ability to speak. It's possible. We don't know. It's also possible that he's just giving God an excuse, that he is really actually a very gifted and eloquent speaker remained. Uh, remember, where was he trained? Where did he get his education? Pharaoh's court, the best in the land at that time. So, it could be, or it could be, I'll let you decide, that he's just giving God an excuse. I, I'm not qualified, God. But the great news is that God can make those who are unqualified or who think they're unqualified, qualified. Notice verse 11. The Lord said to him. Notice, notice God's tone. Notice his language, how it, how it shifts here. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who made them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Friends, have you given God this fourth excuse before? Have you ever told God or others, I'd really like to do that. I know you're asking me to do it, but I'm just not sure. I'm not sure I can do that. Have you ever told God, I'm, God, I'm not... I'm not sure I can really speak of Christ to my friends. I'm not sure I can lead uh, my, my, my high school in, in, a, in a Bible study. I'm not sh- that's not for me. I'm not sure I can do that. Friends, are you telling God that you're not qualified to do what you know that he wants you to do, when in reality you simply don't want to? I think that's what's happening with Moses. Who gave you a mouth to speak, God said. And he says to us, who gives you a mouth to speak? Who gives you hands that you might serve with? Who gave you your ears that you can listen to people's problems with? Who gave you that mind so that you can think with? Who gave you money so that you can be generous with? God says, is it not I, the Lord? Is it not I? I will help you. God says to those of us who say, God, I'm just not qualified. I can't do that. I will help you. So, We come to the end of the section and the fifth excuse. And uh, this one, I think, is most most revealing. As we look at verse uh, 13 and excuse number five, Moses, at the end of his apparent rope, he's all out of excuses except for this one. And he simply says, God, please send somebody else to do it. Just send somebody else. Send somebody else. There was a, a story that I ran across this week of a, of a little sign, a desk sign, if you will, that uh, former President Harry Truman had on his desk in the Oval Office. And, and the sign that he had there, four words, four simple words, and it said, the buck stops here. The buck stops here. What was the former president saying? I like, he's taking responsibility, right? He, he, it's a willingness to say, whatever comes my way, I'm going to accept the responsibility of that. I'm not going to make excuses. And then I 
found out, I did a little searching, that it, that's kind of opposite of the phrase passing the buck, right? The buck stops here, I'm taking responsibility. P- passing the buck apparently was a, a term that grew out of uh, uh, playing poker. A buck was, was a marker that indicated whose turn it was to deal. So to pass the buck then meant what? I don't want to take responsibility to, to deal, right? I'm passing on the responsibility to somebody else. And friends, that's exactly what we see Moses, Moses, Moses doing in his fifth and final excuse. Verse 13, but Moses said, notice the language, pardon your servant, Lord, same language, please send someone else. It's great. He comes to the end of his rope and he's like, okay, you've answered all my excuses. I just don't want to do it, right? Send somebody else to do it. Find a new person. Somebody else can do it. Here, I think more than ever, Moses speaks out of a heart of disobedience, even then maybe out of a heart of fear. And so the Lord responds in verses 14 through 17, then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Friends, I don't know about you, but I don't want to ever be in the spot where it can be said of me that because of my excuse giving, that the Lord's anger is burning against me, right? I don't want you to ever get to the spot where it would be said that the Lord's anger is burning against you because of your excuses. So God says, what about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. Verse 15, you shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. See, friends, like like Jonah, who would come along some years later, God was not going to let Moses off the hook. He wasn't going to let Moses pass the buck to someone else. Friends, I don't, I don't think God wants us to do that either. So let's close with this thought. Maybe, like Moses, God has exhausted and exposed all of our excuses. And the only one that we have remaining is this. If I don't do it, I know somebody else will. Friends, have you ever said that to yourself? Have you ever said that to your pastor maybe or to or to god to your neighbor to your your spouse listen if i don't do it it'll get done someone else will do it right someone else will serve on that committee they'll step up someone else will invest in my children i'm sure that they will someone else can share the gospel with the neighbor i know that that the the neighbor on the other side they're a christian too so it'll get taken care of right and on and on we go somebody else can be that leader in, in my school. It, it can be my, my friend. She can do it. He can do it. Somebody else will confront that sin in their life. Somebody will do it. Fill in the blank. So, friends, I think if we give God this excuse, he will give us the answer that he gave to Moses. And he might be saying to you, friends, that somebody else is you. That somebody else is you. I'm calling you to do it. So, we've seen five excuses from one of the best excuse givers in the Bible. Moses has beaten around the burning bush. He said, God, you have the wrong guy. He said, I don't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. I need some details here, God. He says, I'm afraid to fail. 
He says, I'm not qualified. And then he says, just send somebody else, right? Just get somebody else to do it. Friends, are we using any of these excuses to beat around God's burning bushes in our lives? Let's stop making excuses. Let's heed God's words to Moses. He said to Moses, and I think he says to us, now go. Go. Do what I'm calling you to do. And then he promises his help. I will be with you. Now go and obey. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we are grateful for this section of scriptures that even some of the heroes in our Bible, the great men of the faith like Moses, that, uh, that they struggled and that they too, like us, were excuse givers. Lord, I pray that you would lay bare and expose our excuses that we are giving to you for things that you are burdening our hearts with. And we pray that unlike Moses, we would be quick to respond in faith and in trust and in obedience to you. But Father, for the times that we have given you all of these excuses and many more, we are so encouraged that you can take excuse givers and that you can transform them to be useful for you and your kingdom. So I pray for my brothers and sisters now, those who have been born again through faith in Jesus, who are giving you excuses. May we all come to submit to you and to follow you for our joy and for your glory. Father, I also pray if there's a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, that they might think about if they are giving you excuses not to be obedient to you, but maybe they are giving you excuses as to why they have never come to you through faith in your son, Jesus, to be born again. Father, I pray if there's someone here and they have given you a litany of excuses because, Father, what you want all of us to do, first and foremost, is to come to know you, to enter into a relationship with you through faith in the perfectly lived life of your son, in the substitutionary death of your son for our sins in our place, trusting in the powerful resurrection of your son to give us eternal life, both now and forevermore with you. So Father, even now, if there's a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, and they are giving excuses as to why they won't bend the knee and trust in your son Jesus for salvation as Savior, and then to, to live a life of pursuing obedience as their Lord. We pray that they would do that even now as we pray. We pray your blessings upon us. We ask it in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Thanks for coming, guys.